We have amazing students here at our church, and uh, we're just so excited for what God is doing in their hearts. And I love just hearing some of the answers of why they chose to follow after Jesus, why they chose to make him the God of their life and, and to direct their lives. Well, church, welcome to Next Gen Sunday. This is a Sunday that we are taking to celebrate what God is doing in the next generation, in the generation that is happening right now, uh, whether it's Gen Z or millennials, uh, from college age all the way down, God is just doing so much here in our church and in the hearts of our students. And we're just so amazed at the work that he's doing in their hearts. Now, what I love about our church is that we're a church that grows people of all ages to mature faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, you've seen that here on the stage this morning. We're so blessed uh, to have our students up here leading worship for you. And that was just such a, a blessing. I know it was something that, that God was working in my heart, even as I was uh, worshiping in the back and uh, just honored to see that God is using our students in so many facets, so many different ways. In fact, in the back, we were talking about I, this morning, myself, I am the oldest person involved in producing this service for those who are watching, those who are in the room. Is that incredible? I'm the oldest person. Everyone is younger than me as far as cameras, lights, uh, people in the back doing the live stream, and uh, as well as our worship team, everybody. Uh, there's so many young people that are using their gifts and their talents for Jesus Christ. And if you're watching at home, uh, you experience this on a weekly basis as uh, we have students in the back doing the live stream mix and the switchboard, all sorts of stuff. So God is just uh, using our students to serve others and to, to reach out in our church, as well as our community through revivals. We are a church, though, that loves to see God work in the hearts of all generations and to grow every generation to mature faith in Jesus Christ. Why is it that that's so important to us? Well, we believe as a church that age is not a qualifier or a disqualifier for being used by God. It doesn't matter if you are young. It doesn't matter if you are old. There, it's not a qualifier or a disqualifier for following after the calling that God has in your life. And we've seen that in our generations. We have people who are in their fourth quarter of life, third quarter of life. Uh, a friend of mine, he likes to say he's in overtime and uh, he's using his gifts for the Lord. We use our gifts and we follow after God's call and we serve one another and we love one another. Age is not a disqualifier. Well, maybe you're 12 years old, 11 years old. Are you too young to be used by God? No, God is using our young people. They are not the church of the future. They are the church, amen? And they are being used greatly by God. We are a church that wants to see God grow people of all ages to mature faith in Jesus Christ. Well, as we look forward to uh, the fall and we become a Renew Bible Church and our student ministries become Renew Kids and Renew Youth, uh, there are some things that we want to instill into our ministries. And I know in our student ministries and youth ministries specifically, we want to see our students build a faith of their own. We want to see every young person develop a faith of their own. Why is this so important for them that it's their faith? Because there is a statistic out there and there's been studies uh, have been done that show that a biblical worldview is something that is declining in each generation. Barna Group did a study and they show that from boomers, Gen X, millennials, and then Gen Z, there has been a decline in people in the church, people in the culture having a biblical worldview. Well, what is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is saying that the Bible is the authority for all decisions I make in life. 
The Bible is my authority in life. It's not how I feel. It's not my emotions. It's not what the culture says. It's not what's on the news. The Bible, God's word is my authority. A biblical worldview says Jesus is the one way to salvation. It's not being a good person. It's not good works. It's not trying to be spiritual. It's one way to salvation. There's one way to heaven. There's one way to find God. It's through the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he rose from the dead. He died and he rose from the dead. A biblical worldview holds those points to be true. So what do we see? A decline in each generation. From boomers, where are my boomers at? We got some boomers in the room? Yeah, typically I get like a, like a war cry from the boomers, like hurrah, you know? And then we got Gen X. Uh, maybe they're not in church, I don't know. Uh, Gen X, maybe you're a Gen X out there. Where are my millennials at? Okay, we got caught. I'm a millennial. This is my generation. And then we have the generation of now Gen Z. These are our students, our teenagers, our, some of our young adults. And then we even have a, a generation coming out underneath them who are in our early childhood ministry and kids ministry right now. So we've seen this decline. We've seen this decline. There's also a study that says this, that not only has a biblical worldview declined in our culture and in our churches, but also there's been a dropout from church. There has been a graduation. We don't want our students just to graduate high school, right? We, we, we want them to continue in their faith. We don't want them to graduate from their faith. But we've seen, we've seen that there's been a drop-off in church attendance. And this is students who have grown up in the church, students who came through a kids' ministry, a youth ministry uh, in, in this nation, and they went to college, they went and became young adults, and then all of a sudden, there's nobody telling them, hey, it's time for church today, wake up. They got to make a decision for their own. It was their faith. It's personal to them. And 64%, guys, that's six out of 10, church, six out of 10 young adults are saying, church isn't for me. Maybe they had an interaction with church and their upbringing. Maybe they had something happen, but for whatever reason, they said, church just isn't for me. A relationship with God or this Christianity thing, that's just not my thing. Why is this so important for us to understand? I'm not here to discourage us about this generation. I'm in here to encourage us. I believe in this generation, not only through working in student ministry for over 12 years now, but just seeing what God has done in the lives of our students, seeing what you saw on the stage and all around us. If you go over to our kids' ministry right now, we have students serving there. We have amazing students here, but I believe in this generation. Why? Because God has the power to work in their hearts. And we as the church have been called to help them find a faith of their own. We must beware of what I call secondhand faith syndrome. The danger of secondhand faith syndrome. I don't know if you are someone who maybe uh, had hand-me-downs as a child, uh, but I was one of those kids. Now, I grew up here at the church. Uh, our church was very small at the time. My dad was on staff here, uh, so I was a pastor's kid. I was also one of seven. So it's one of seven children. And uh, you, know, you can imagine there, there, there wasn't a whole lot to go around then in our family. A whole not, not a whole lot of clothes, not a whole lot of, of, of money to go around for all of us. And, uh, and so we often relied on hand-me-downs. And maybe that's your story as well. Well, we had one particular friend of the family, my mom's friend, Annette, and she lived in Florida. And her husband, 
owned hotels in Florida, right on the coast, okay? So you can imagine that their children were pretty well-to-do, right? And they were in every kind of club you can imagine, you know, the yacht club, the country club, the tennis club, and they dressed to impress. Well, the good news for us was when they were done with their clothes, their boys or their mom would package all that up and she'd ship it on up to Percocy to this pastor's family with seven kids, and we would get to take our pick from, from those hand-me-downs, okay? Now, it was great. We were very grateful, and we got to open up, and, and we were excited to see what they had. Uh, but as a young man, I wasn't always looking forward to the clothes that I would find in there. Ralph Lauren, polo, Chanel, uh, you know, leather loafers, penny loafers, if we remember those, right? I looked like I was coming right out of the tennis club going to school. I mean, that could get you beat up in the Northeast, okay? (laughs) That's dangerous around here, okay? I wasn't really into wearing a three-piece suit with brass, uh, you know, buttons on it walking into third grade, okay? That was not my style. And as I grew older, although I appreciated those hand-me-downs, that second-hand clothing, I appreciated it, but I started to want to have my own style, right? I didn't want to wear that suit to school anymore. I wanted to have my own. It was important to me that it wasn't just someone else's handed down. When it comes to faith, our students need to have a faith that is their own. It can't be something that is just handed to them from mom and dad or from grandma or grandpa. Yes, God has called us to instill in them faith and to teach them of the things that God is doing, not only of yesteryear, but what God is doing today, what God's doing in their family now, what God is doing in grandpa's life today, right? We need to instill that into our children, but they have to find it for themselves. They have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ themselves. There's a danger of this secondhand faith becoming a problem, which is why I believe so many are dropping out from church because they never had a firsthand faith. This danger is seen in the book of Judges. We get this warning in the book of Judges and, and it's kind of a cold warning. And we've been studying uh, Joshua and what God did in that generation in our, in our current series. We've been going through the walls that God is helping us break down these, this fear and this anxiety, all that is in our world. And, and God has given us the power uh, to see him break down those walls. It's been a tremendous series looking at Joshua and what God is doing in, in the life of that generation. But it's only one generation removed, we see this. After Joshua and that generation dies, we see this, Judges chapter two. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the time of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him and those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Well, what had God done? We saw God help them cross the Jordan. He even caused the sun to stand still as they defeated the Amorites. They saw God working in miraculous ways in their lifetime. They also saw Jericho fall before their own eyes. That generation saw God working in miraculous ways. But then it goes on. It says in verse 10, and there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. That's a sobering verse right there. Just one generation removed from God destroying the walls of Jericho, from them conquering the land and and taking what God had, had rightfully given them and promised them. This was the promised land. God gave them a land of milk and honey. He said, if you obey my statutes, if you obey, I will do these things for you. 
was only one generation after. It says, they did not know the Lord of the works he had done for Israel. The following verses go on to say that this generation, they served the idols of the people around them. They went after the gods of the people around them. They went after the gods of their culture. That is a true danger for this generation. In fact, it's been a danger for every generation since the beginning of time. The temptation to follow after the gods and the idols of the culture around us. And that is the temptation for our students. Are they going to listen to the lies of our enemy? Are they going to seek after and go after the gods of this world, money and success, the opinions of others and pleasing others? Are they going to go after their own self as God and, and place themselves in the role of God? They did not know the Lord or the work he had done for them. That's why here at our church, what we want to see is our students grow to have an authentic faith, a first-hand faith, a faith of their own. That's why it's our role as their parents and grandparents and their youth leaders and their friends to guide them and point them to the one who has answers in life. Point them to the one who is the source of their faith. An authentic faith is believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that he will do what he promised. The great theologian, Charles Spurgeon goes one step further. He says this, faith is believing that Christ is, is what he is said to be. He has done what he promised to do and then expect this of him. That's the kind of faith we want our young people to have, a faith that is firsthand, that they experience. They have an encounter with Jesus himself and he changes them from the inside out and that they see that he is who he claimed to be through the scriptures, that they find that for themselves that God reveals himself to them through his word and that they go on and they expect that God is gonna do what he claimed. You know what, this is a difficult time in my life, but I know that God's word says he is with me and he will never forsake me, he will never leave me. That's the kind of faith we want our students. But guess what? That's a faith all of us need to have, a faith of our own. This isn't just for our kids. This isn't just for our students. This is for every one of us in this room. Do you have an authentic faith? Do you have a firsthand faith? Is this a relationship that you have with your savior? Do you go and expect that God will do what he called you to do? Do you expect that God will fulfill the promises that he gave you? So how do we help our young people develop that kind of faith? How do we help them? How do you as an adult in this church family, whether you're here in the room or you're online, how do you help the young people in your life to have that kind of faith? How do you point them to Jesus? Well, we have to help them find answers to their questions. Now that doesn't mean that we need to give them all the answers, right? We're really good at that as adults, right? What you have to do is what you need to do or what you need to know is this. We're really good at giving answers and giving, and, and, and giving wisdom, now look at all this wisdom I have. Would you just come and sit and listen? And I'm gonna impart that to you. We're really good at that as adults. But students, they want to find these answers for themselves. They need to find them for themselves. And they need to find them through Christ. So we need to point them to Jesus. For they have questions, but Jesus has better answers. That's why in our ministries here, we want to provide, as Brad said, a place where they can belong, 
and people who know them, people who can point them to Jesus Christ, mentors in their life who can say, hey, I know it's a hard time you're going through right now, but you know, God promised he's always with you. Hey, I know it's been a struggle with mom and dad at home, but God wants you to honor your authorities no matter what and trust him that he's gonna take care of the rest. We have people in our church community that are doing that and we are calling all of us to do that as well. That's a challenge for each of us to point them to the one who has the answers. It was a study done uh, by Fuller Youth Institute and they asked hundreds of students from across the country from different uh, diversities and different areas of background. They asked them, uh, what are some things, some questions that you have about faith? And they collected all the data and they compiled that and they took the most common answers. And what we've done is I've taken some of those common answers as well as answers that we've heard from our students here in our church. And I'd like to propose to you these three big questions that our students have about faith. But it's not just questions that they have. These are questions that each of us have about God and our relationship to him. Here's the first one. Who am I? What is my identity? How do I view myself? Is one of the big questions that students are asking. The second one, where do I fit? Where do I fit? Who are the people that I belong to? Who are my people? Where do I find my belonging? We're all seeking answers to these questions, but specifically our students. They need to find these answers in Christ. The last one, what difference can I make? What is my purpose, my contribution to something bigger than myself? These are the most common answers. These are the most common answers that we found. Here's the the first one. On the question of who am I, identity, the most common answers we found are, are these. I am what others expect of me. I am what others want or they need, and there are constant expectations on me, constant pressures. Of all generations, this is probably the one generation that has the most pressure on them. When you and I were growing up, we maybe had a couple dozen options for a career. Students now have literally millions of options. Just hop online, go to Google. There are a million options for them in their career path, in their education. They have so many options that it's causing them uh, this dilemma. It's paralyzing them. They don't know which decision to make. What if I choose the wrong thing? There's constant expectations on them from the outside in. In fact, one student said this. He said, it feels like I'm on the stage of life and I'm looking out into the audience. And over here, I have my parents and their expectations on me. How I live, how I talk, how I act around other adults. And then over here, I got my sports team and they have their, they have their expectations on me. Oh, and then there's my coach. He's got, she's got expectations on me. Oh, and my peers, my peers, oh, they have huge expectations. And what happens is these students learn to just blend in and be different people for every audience. They feel like they have to live and blend in and really to to become somebody for that audience. There's constant expectations. Here's the second second answer that we found uh, is very common. I am what I'm good at. My personality, my talents, my personal brand, what people kind of know me as, like I'm an athlete or I'm an artist or I'm a musician. What am I good at? What am I known for? What are my skills? What are my abilities? That is who I am. That's my identity. You don't believe this? Walk into any middle school. Walk into the the cafeteria. What are you gonna find? Little clusters of students who are finding their identity based around what they're good at. Oh, that's the baseball table. That's the drama table over there. 
They are finding answers, common answers of who am I? I'm what others expect. I'm not, I'm what I'm good at. And the last one, I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not popular enough for them. I'm not accomplished enough for my parents. I'm not perfect enough for myself. So many expectations. And they feel that the answer is I am not enough. So how do we help them? Point them to Jesus who has better answers for them. This isn't just for our students, this is for all of us. How do we find our identity? How do we answer the question, who am I? Who did God create me to be? Well, those are the common answers. Here's the better answers. Here's what we find from scripture. They can now answer that question by saying, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. First John 3, 1 says, see what kind of, of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love our Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What kind of love is that? That he, The God of the universe calls us his own children. He says that we are adopted into his family. We are called out ones. We are his children. What an amazing identity it is to be in the family of God, to be called his, ch- his child. We just sang a song about that. There's an anthem in our youth ministry that our our teenagers love to sing that song. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Why is that connected with them? Because they're searching and they're seeking for answers to these questions. Who am I? And they're finding answers in scripture. They're finding answers through God's word that they are children of God. Second, I am chosen and loved. I'm chosen and I'm loved. First Thessalonians 1.4 says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. God chose you. You're not lumped in. You're not just part of the group by default. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you look around this room and you're like, oh, those people, they're all great people. They're following after God. I know that, yeah, what God's doing in their life, but I'm just kind of lumped in. God loves all of them. He loves the church. He loves you know, that person. He loves him, but he kind of had to love me because he's God. That's what God's supposed to do, right? God's supposed to love me. Maybe you feel like you're just attached to the group. Maybe you feel like you're just kind of the last one picked and and God kind of has to love you because that's what God's supposed to do. It's not what scripture tells us, that we are chosen. We're not the last one picked on the dodgeball team. God picked you out and said, you are my child. I love you and I am so proud of you. Not long ago, we had the opportunity to, uh, to go on a trip down to South Carolina. It was a Tremendous trip. It was called beach camp. So you can't beat that. Go to a camp, spend some time on the beach. And uh, we got to be a part of some amazing worship and, and Bible teaching as well. And the, the teacher that week, the first night, he proposed a question to the group. About 2,000 students there. Students who are seeking after God, desiring to, to take that next step in their, their faith walk. And he, pro- he proposed this question. He said, if you found yourself in a room with God, what would you say to him? I'm gonna propose that question to all of us. If you found yourself in a room with God, yes, I know theologically God is in us, but just bear with me. If you found yourself in a room, just you and God, what would you say to him? What would you share with him? What questions would you have for him? And then he asked the question, what do you think Jesus would say to you? 
my mind starts going and, and I'm thinking about all the things maybe God would want to say to me or Jesus would say to me. And uh, the speaker said, I believe, I believe God would probably walk up to you, give you a big hug and say, I'm proud of you. I love you. You're my kid. The scriptures teach us that's the kind of love. That's the kind of relationship I have with God, that he chose me and he loves me. He even calls me his masterpiece, his greatest work. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Jesus Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's who I am. It's also, it's gonna answer the question of my purpose in life. He's given me good things to do, good works to do for him and he planned this long ago. If you know much about art or if you don't know much about art, uh, a masterpiece, a masterpiece is the greatest piece of art that an artist uh, puts out. Uh, maybe they put out hundreds or thousands of, of pieces of work, but there's one at the end of their career, the end of their life that often people look back and say, wow, that is a masterpiece. The masterpiece is their greatest work. You know that God says you and I are his masterpiece? He created all the heavens and the earth. He created the billions of stars in the heavens. And he says, you, place your name in there. You are his masterpiece. In fact, there's a story of the great artist Michelangelo. And he was asked about the difficulties of the statue of David, his greatest work, acclaimed by many. And he replied with kind of an unassuming and a comical response. He said this, the sculpture is already complete. It's within the marble block already. Before I start my work, it's already there. All I had to do is chisel away the unnecessary material. That artist saw in that masterpiece, when he looked at that block of stone, he saw the masterpiece there before he began. A great artist sees the finished work before he or she even begins. And the great artist God, guess what? When it comes to you and I, his greatest piece of work, and we are a piece of work, right? <laughs> he is still continuing that work and he will continue on until the day he completes it on the other side of eternity. Until that day, he's sanctifying us. He's cleansing us and he's, he's doing things in our heart and he's chipping away. He's chipping away if we'll let him. God wants to sanctify us. The good news is this. He has seen and he knows the finished product and he sees us as a finished product. We are his masterpiece. We are enough. Well, our young people are also asking this question. This next question, where do I fit? Where do I find my belonging from? Where am I supposed to find that? It's a question we all ask. Here's the most common answers we found from, from young people. They say, I fit where I feel safe to be me. Simple as that. I find that I fit where I just feel like I can be myself. I don't have to put on the show. I don't have to put on this mask. I don't have to be someone I'm not. I just can be myself and people accept me for who I am. That's where they feel they fit. And as a ministry, that's something that we desire for our students. We desire students to be here at our ministry and to feel safe where they can share what's going on in their life, where they can share their struggles, where they can share who they are and they're accepted for that and they're encouraged and they're pointed to Jesus Christ. We want them to feel like they can be themselves. We want them to have a place where they belong and someone who knows them, someone who points them to Christ. They also said, I fit where we share this in common. 
Maybe it's the school, uh, the school uh, activity or the extracurricular club. Maybe it's that sport or that team they're on where they have something in common with other people. That's where they find they fit with others. Here's the last one. Where I feel needed. Where I feel needed. This one might be surprising to many of you. You know that students really enjoy being needed by adults. They love to be given a role and, and to say, hey, could you do this? I need you. And then for us adults to actually expect that they're gonna do that. When we do that for them, they feel like they belong. They feel like they're part of something. That's why over at Revivals, you see young people serving there left and right and they're doing block parties and they're serving Tuesday nights. They feel needed and that's where they feel like they belong. Here in our ministries, over in kids ministry, they're serving, they feel like they belong. In our student ministries, we give them responsibility. They feel like they belong because they've been given responsibility. They feel needed. We desire them to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Well, those are great answers. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with those answers, but what does God say? What does God say about where I fit, where I find my belonging? What does scripture say? Well, here's a better answer. We belong in the body of Christ. I fit in the body of Christ. As Romans says, so it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. It's in the body of Christ, in this context, that we have the opportunity to enact the one another's, to love one another, to share with one another, to, to teach one another, to encourage one another, to spur each other on towards godliness. It's within the context of God's body that we belong. We are part of that body, and there's no one part that is more important than another. Where else? I fit because I belong to Jesus. Romans 1, 6 says, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. They are in Christ. I love how Pastor Chris shares that illustration with an envelope. He says, positionally, we are inside Christ. Who we are is in Christ. We are his. We belong to him. We find belonging through that relationship with Jesus Christ. And the last one, I am fully known and loved. How do I find belonging? How do I fit? Well, I fit because I'm truly and fully known by God. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Psalm 139. I wanna share a snippet of it with you, starting verse one. It says, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. Is there someone in your life that knows a lot about you? Maybe there's like intimacy in that relationship where they, they know a lot of your struggles, your pain, things that you've gone through in life. There's someone that really knows a lot. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a, a really close friend. Uh, it's a mom or it's a dad or grandparent. God knows literally everything about you. Every nook and cranny of your life, God knows it all. The things you don't want people to know, God knows it. The things you wish people understood about you, God knows it. He understands it. Your motives that get taken wrongly by other people, guess what? God knows your true motives, for good or bad. And guess what? He still loves you. It's amazing. It's an amazing truth. God knows everything. But he goes on, verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about me? Oh God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. I wake up the next morning, God, you're still, you're still with me? Like, after what happened yesterday, after how I acted, you're still, you still love me. You're still with me. God is still with me. Take yourself to the beach this summer. Maybe you went on vacation. I want you to look at the sand. 
there are billions and billions of grains of sand. Scripture says God thinks about you more than the grains of sand in the ocean, in the, on the beach. That's how much he thinks about you. He loves you. Now, if somebody was thinking about you that much as a human being, maybe it's a little creepy, but God, he thinks about you and he just adores you. He adores you. Here's the point. True belonging is being fully known and being fully loved. That's the kind of God we have. Fully knows us and he fully loves us. Here's the third question. The third question we ask our young people and the, here's the answers that they gave us. The third question that, that makes a difference in their life. The question of purpose. How do I make a difference in the world around me? What difference do I make? The common answers we found, they say, I make a difference when I help others. Not just as church, not just when I'm serving um, in ministry, but also like when I'm at school and I have the opportunity to kind of do something for someone else or I have the opportunity to stand up for somebody and say, no, 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 we're not gonna do that. Are you good? Can I help you? When they stand up for somebody, that really makes them feel like they're making a difference. Um, when I'm given a role, we talked about this, when we give them a role, there's a term we like to use called keychain leadership. Now, I'm someone uh, around here, it's kind of a joke, I never have my keys on me. I don't like things in my pockets. So I'm always locked out of the buildings. Um, but my good friend, Adam Meller, some of you guys know him, you always know when Adam's coming because you hear this, chink, 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 chink. He's got this big old wad of keys on his belt loop and his belt loop's like basically hanging by a thread. And he's got like 100 keys there, okay? And Adam, if he were to come up to me and say, Gabe, I need something of you. Okay, Adam, what do you got for me? Well, I need you to, uh, I need you to lock up the building, say, after the service. Can you do that for me? Well, first off, never ask a youth pastor to lock up. It's a bad decision, okay? But if he were to say, I need you to lock up, he would probably get out his big keychain and hand me one of the keys. All right, here's the key to uh, the children's ministry building. Can you go lock that up and then bring it back to me when you're done, okay? I don't want that getting lost. Bring it back. So there's an opportunity for me to go do something, but then I come back and I give him back the key because it's not my responsibility, it's, it's someone else's. But in keychain leadership, what you do is you actually get a set of keys for that person. Say, hey, I'm not asked for the keys back. Here's the set of keys. I want you to go accomplish this. And, and guess what? I'm enabling you to do it. I'm gonna trust that you're gonna do it. When we have done this with our students, we, when we enable them and we uh, support them and give them their own set of keys and leadership and say, hey, go lead worship. Go serve in the kids' ministry. Go teach, uh, go up on the stage and do the announcements at day camp. We give them those opportunities. They feel like they have purpose. They have a difference to make. When I'm trusted to make decisions, the third one. When I'm trusted to make decisions. Students love to be trusted by adults, to make decisions, not to be told what to do, but to make their own decisions. Those are common answers. What does God say? What does God say to us? Where do I make it? What's my purpose? Well, the better answer is I'm invited to play a role in God's greater story. What an incredible thing that God doesn't need me, but he wants to use me. Tomorrow morning, there's gonna be over 125 counselors in that room upstairs, and we're gonna be praying and talking about the, the day to come at Day Camp Live. And then we're gonna enable them to come on down here and hang with over 400 campers for the week. They're gonna have the opportunity to play a role in a story that's bigger than themselves. 
God doesn't need them in the same way he doesn't need me, he doesn't need you. But here's the good news for you and I. He wants to use us. He finds joy in using us and blessing us. You know, God doesn't need you to save that coworker. He doesn't need you to share the gospel with them, but he wants to use you. He wants you to experience what it means to step out of faith and say, hey, this is going on in my life and I, I wanna share what God's doing. I, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you and he's, he's the, the one way to salvation. God doesn't need you to do that, but he wants you to. He wants to use it. He wants to bless you and he wants to bless our students with the opportunity this week, pray for them, to share their testimony with students. We expect, we're expecting that God's gonna be working. And Lord willing, students will come to know Jesus Christ because our counselors are gonna share God's story with them. They get to be a part of God's greater story. Here's another one. I don't have to serve God. I get to serve God, amen? I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. I don't have to be a part of revivals. I get to. I don't have to serve my community. I get to. I don't have to serve in the tech ministry or in kids ministry. I get to. I get to be a part of that. Those are better answers. In fact, we're reminded of this story we get to play uh, in God's story in the book of 1 Corinthians when Paul says this. Here's the context. You have the people there in Corinth saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. They're arguing over who is the greater influence. And, and Paul says this. He says, we're only God's servants. Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're God's servants whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work of the Lord that he gave us. And I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their hard work for we are both God's workers. God has a story. He has a plan. He has a mission and he wants all of us to be a part of it. Whether you're 12 years old or you're 94 years old, it doesn't matter your age. It does not qualify you or disqualify you from being used by God. He wants to use you and you get to be a part of it. It's an amazing thing. God is the one doing the work. That's why we can say with our counselors tomorrow morning, we get to. Over 125 of them are gonna be up there and they're gonna have the opportunity to serve God. Pray for them this week. Pray that God would work through them. Pray that he would give them the words to speak to their campers this week. So how can you help them? How can you help these students develop a faith of their own? There are answers to these questions they have. We need to find a scripture. We need to point them to God to find the answers to these questions. We all need to find answers to these questions in Jesus and in Jesus alone. But how can you as a church body, whether you're 15, you're 38, or you're 98, how can you help this generation develop a faith of their own? I wanna give you two specific ways before you leave today, two specific ways that you can practically help them take that step. Here's the first one. Number one, cover them in prayer. Church, would you cover our young people in prayer? I know you will. This church is a church that prays. This church is a church that gets on their knees. This is a church that, that goes to battle, not only for our families, not only for one another, for our pastors, but for our young people. Let's add them. Let's add them and cover them in prayer. 
And we fight on our knees in prayer. We demolish strongholds through the weapons that God has given us. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy, or one version says, to demolish strongholds. Well, our kids have strongholds. Strongholds are not just things that, that keep enemies out, but strongholds in historic times were used to keep prisoners in. And there are things, there are areas of our students' lives that are keeping them prisoner. Prisoners to anxiety and fear. Prisoners of, of lies of the enemy about who they are, what their identity is. Our church has the ability to go to our knees in prayer and to use these weapons that God has given us, demolish those strongholds in their life. Let's cover them in prayer, church. Here's the second one. The second thing you can do to point them to Christ is to point them by making a connection. Make a connection with one young person. We like to say the phrase, uh, do for one what you can't do for all. Now, I can't do everything for everybody, but I can pick one person and say, I'm gonna do that for them. I can't write a card to every person in the church, but I can pick one person and write a card to them. I can do for one what I can't do for everybody. Would you point them to Christ by making a connection with a young person? Someone who's in your sphere of influence. Maybe you say, well, I don't really have young people in my, in my sphere. Well, how about you go up to your coworker and say, hey, I, I know you have a college student. I know you have a young person in your house. Is there anything I can do to pray for them? I know this is a hard world to grow up in and I'd love to just bathe them in prayer. I'd love to help them out. Point them to Christ and share your story with them. Share your story with them. My bus driver in high school, his name was Bob. Um, and every day I'd go out to the bus stop. I was all groggy in the morning. Uh, you know, I was kind of upset on why I had to wake up. Not a morning person, right? And I'm like, it's like six in the morning. I'm hopping on a, a big yellow school bus. Gonna go spend eight hours of school. Well, I'd walk up those steps of the bus and, and my bus driver would open the door and I'd see a smiling face of Bob. Bob, my bus driver. And Bob would whistle. He had joy in his heart. And I found out that he knew Jesus Christ as his savior. He actually started to attend our church. And Bob was this guy, he was older. He was in the third, fourth quarter of his life. He's another guy uh, who likes to say he's in overtime, right? And, and he would just whistle on the bus. And he would just show that he just had this joy and I didn't understand it. I'm like, how can you be happy in the morning? How can you whistle like that? It's six in the morning. But he just, he just exuded a, a, a love for people and, and a love for God and just true joy. Well, we established a little friendship there and we would talk about a church and we talk about the things of the Lord. And then uh, later on in my life, I, I came to the church. I became a pastor here and Bob and I kind of disconnected. But years later, uh, we were both in the church together and I was praying about who could I have in my life to, to be a mentor to me? Someone that I could just share things with. Uh, someone who's not on staff, is not a pastor here, isn't really in my normal sphere of influence. Um, who could I have to be a mentor to me? And I'm in this room and, and right over in this corner, I walk up to Bob and I, I think to myself, Bob is someone who has joy in the later stages of his life. At this point, he was in his uh, late 70s probably. And I said, Bob, would you be my mentor? And I'll never forget his response. He said, I don't have anything to offer. You're a pastor. I'm just a normal person. I said, well, Bob, you're, you're old and you're still happy. So, I mean, <laughs> you obviously have something 
to share with me. Uh, I need the secret. I need the secret of how you can have that kind of joy. And, uh, and, and Bob is a person who takes people out to breakfast, to lunch, um, all kinds of people in our, in our church. Uh, he's the one who started the ministry of Romeo's, retired old men eating out, okay? If you're not a part of it, find Bob. He's gonna get you connected. He loves to connect people. And Bob has become one of my closest friends in the world. And, um, and we meet every, couple, every two weeks. We meet at the diner. We have uh, some, some breakfast and he gets a, a bowl of oatmeal with raisins and milk and a side of wheat toaster. I can tell you what he gets. And, and we just established this wonderful relationship where Bob shares with me his story and how he is a part of God's greater story. Yes, I'm a pastor. He's just a normal guy. But guess what? I've learned so much from my friend, Bob. So how do you begin that kind of relationship? How do you start how do you start encouraging young person, pointing them to Christ? What do you even do? You might say, well, I don't really know how to connect to young people. They, you know, they're on their phones and I can barely turn on my computer. Um, you know, they, the only time I talk to them is when my Wi-Fi breaks down and I ask them to help me, right? Well, what do you do? I wanna give you, and I promise you I'd do this, I wanna give you a couple pro tips. Tips that I've acquired through years of not only being a young person and now becoming what they would call old, okay? Um, I, I, I wanna give you a couple tips, things that you can use to establish relationships and connections with this younger generation. Here's a couple tips. First one is don't judge them. Now, I asked young people, some of our, our college age and, and uh, high school students, what are some things that get in the way of a, an adult connecting with you? Here's the first one, they, all of them said this, just don't judge, don't judge us. That's the one thing we ask. Don't come in with your preconceived notions about these youngins, these whippersnappers or the youths, right? Just come in and, and find out who we are and, and, and just have empathy for us. Do you know what empathy is? Empathy is this idea of noticing something and then showing that you care. I had a conversation in the foyer after the first service. Uh, a woman came up to me and said, how do I do this? What do I, how do I even start that kind of relationship? Or how do I show them that I care? And I said, just pick one thing. One thing maybe you notice about them. Uh, you know, I had a young man right next to me say, hey man, cool shoes. I like those, where'd you get those? And uh, we started talking. Well, guess what? I noticed something. And then what, what goes even one step further is you show you care and then you follow up. So maybe you have a neighbor who is in high school and you've never really talked to them, but you're out getting your mail and you see that neighbor. Hey, hey uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Jeff, right? Yeah, yeah, how you doing? Jeff. How's school going, man? What's going on in your world? Yeah, has, has it been tough since COVID? Oh, really? It's taking notice. Start a conversation. Just ask about their world. Try to find something that you connect on. And then, hey, I, I, you told me you had a baseball game a couple weeks ago. How'd that go? Follow up with them. If you follow up with them, you will blow their mind. They're expecting all adults to be authoritarians and, and don't only have time for them. So when you show them interest, it means so much. Just don't judge them. Here's the next one, push past the facade. Ask questions that make them feel heard. Ask questions like, hey, tell me more. Push past that facade that they don't wanna talk to you. Yes, they're terrified to talk to you just as you are to them, but push past that. Push past that facade and just begin asking them questions. Here's the last one here. Give them the benefit of the doubt. This goes so long for young people. This goes so far. Just giving them the benefit of the doubt, not making up your preconceived notions about who they are and their motives and why they do things. So technique, I call it O-I-C. Or you say, oh, I see, right? Oh, I see. O-I-C is observation, interpretation, 
clarification. Here's how this play. Here's how this could play out for you. You and your student, uh, you're in the car, and uh, and you know you notice that um, your your high schooler is uh, is not really keeping up with school, and maybe uh, their grades have have been down. Well, you know, option one is you start berating them on why they're failing. Option number two, oh, I see. Hey, uh, hey, Jeff, I noticed. I noticed your grades have been you know, a little bit down this this quarter. Like, what's is there uh, has has there been something going on? Maybe a struggle I didn't know about. I give them the opportunity then to clarify it. To this is my interpretation, Jeff. I don't know. Maybe maybe your 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 uh, your computer's broken and you need me to fix it for you to help you get things up and go. You give them the opportunity to show you what is going on in their world and then you let them clarify. Allow them to explain what's going on. Oh, I see, observation, interpretation, and then allow them to clarify. That allows them to feel like they are truly a human being that has importance. And you give them the opportunity by giving them the benefit of the doubt. Now, before I let you go, there's two obstacles that get in the way of this. Number one is this phrase right here. What you need to understand is, or what you should do, right? Don't do that. Allow them to find their answer. Allow them to find the answer and support them along the way. And the second one is this. When I was your age, right? Yes, you were their age at one point. They might not believe that, but you've never been their age in this culture. You've never been their age today. You've never been in their, their world. So when you give them the benefit of the out, when you push past judgment, when you push past the facade, you can truly have a wonderful way of pointing them towards Christ. I pray this for our church as we wrap up that we'd be a Psalm 78 church. Here's what Psalm 78 says. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, about his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them. Even the children not even born and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Let's help this generation set their hope anew on God. We can do that. We can help them grow, growing people of all ages to mature faith in Jesus Christ. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this morning and uh, the ability to see our students in action and just, Lord, to be encouraged by what you're doing in their hearts. God, they're searching for answers, answers uh, to who are they? What's their identity? Ser- answers to what is their purpose? Where do they belong? And we know that you give us answers, God. So would you help us as the church to point them to you? Would you, would you help them to find these answers in you, God? And would you allow this church family to be a church that covers them in prayer and that points them to Christ so that we can become a church, a church that is growing people of all ages to mature faith in Jesus Christ. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.